0: Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Deitch. My producer, as always, is Lee Pellegrino. And we decided to do put together a roundtable very quickly because of all the sports media news that has come together. First up in this segment will be John O'Rand, frequent guest of this podcast. He is the sports media writer for Sports Business Daily and Sports Business Journal. And Rob Latal, the founder and editor of Black Sports Online, also a frequent guest on this podcast, Ryan Glassbeagle of The Big Lead will come after these guys, and we'll focus more on Get Up. Uh, Ryan was one of the people who broke the story of Michelle Beadle leaving Get Up, and so now I bring in John O'Rand and Rob Latow to the podcast. Guys, welcome! It's crazy, crazy ass week in sports media. End of summer, they're trying to bury all this stuff, Richard. <laughs> It's it's all coming. Every, everything always happens right before football
1: season. Everything is trying to they try to get everything the way they exactly want it right before football season starts. The NFL still rules, even though they mess up everything all the time. Right. That, but
0: this is why you should be launching morning shows. Uh, <laughs> you know, at that time. Um, okay, so um, here we go. In terms of um, in terms of Jamel Hill, let's start, John, with you. Um, Jim Miller reported on Twitter first that Jamel Hill had reached an agreement with ESPN to leave the company. They're basically buying her out. The deal was proposed by Hill. I can confirm that as well, according to multiple sources, and accepted by ESPN's ESPN president Jimmy Pitaro. John, what is your reaction first and foremost to this um, this transaction? Jamel Hill, after a long stretch at ESPN, now leaving.
2: Uh, I'm hardly surprised. I think that the the die had been cast on this as as soon as they they stopped the 6 p.m. uh, sports center that that Jamel was doing with Michael Smith. Um, I think that, you know, the the idea of it being, you know, amicable and and a decision made on both sides, I think, is plainly obvious. I think, you know, if you're Jamel Hill, I think that you're looking for an area where you can get out and sort of spread your wings and talk more about Uh, cultural issues, uh, politics, and things like that. And if you're ESPN, you're just trying to to move a little bit further away from from that, which really defined the the end of John Skipper's tenure at ESPN. And I think that, that, you know, Jamel is sort of the face of, you know, ESPN is is too political. So I think that it was an amicable uh, split that, that both really wanted.
0: Rob?
1: Well, you know, I think the interesting part of it, to me at least, is, uh, the reaction from it, like you you guys just reported, you know, it was something that she uh, initiated, uh, something that ESPN was, you know, kind of wanting to do, like you said, ever since the beginning. Uh, but if you kind of look around at how it's not necessarily being reported, but how the reaction is on social media and some of the other spaces, you know, you see headlines like, you know, Trump uh, critic uh, leaving ESPN. There's a lot of, you know, oh, she got fired. Oh, you know, we're glad that there's no more, Uh, political stuff that's going to be on ESPN. um, It's kind of a microcosm of what's going on in our society. I think it's also uh, – I think this is what I would call the turning point uh, with ESPN. I mean, as you can see, there's more – they're trying to add more sports centers. Uh, They just got rid of Sports Nation. Obviously, like you talked about, there's some changes to get up. Uh, It looks like the new president – um, is really trying to get the focus back on let's just you know do the highlights and break the, the sports news and tell the stories and kind of stay out of the uh, not as, I just call it a political realm, just the opinion realm when it has opinions that about real life as opposed to just uh, sporting events and we have to see how that how that goes with the company you know going forward. Maybe that's what you know people want. Um, But you know, my experience is that you know you can't ignore real life when it crosses over to sports. So we have to see how they handle that.
0: All right, let's get into a number of these things because Rob, you brought up some interesting points. All um, I'm with you in that I philosophically believe that sports are inherently political. They're inherently, I mean, and the the history of our world sort of proves that, from race relations in sports to sexism to issues of uh, criminality, to the fact that the president of the United States uh, has made sports in many different ways, including the, issue of, um, uh, the issues of players protesting social justice issues uh, during the national anthem. That's become a political debate. So I, I always feel like that's disingenuous in a canard. That said, that's very easy for me to do. I'm not running ESPN. I'm not running NBC. I'm just sitting in a conference room in Toronto. So it's very easy for me to to do that but I, I do want to ask you this Rob I want to I want to start with you on this it, it's my thought as somebody who's reported on this and somebody who knows Jamel pretty well that once the um once the her tweets about Trump went down and then following that the tweets about um Jerry Jones uh talking about his players and sort of real you know how one could go about protesting the NFL to me the die was cast right there uh we are we are at this date in August because of what happened last October. Uh, essentially, I thought that was the moment that Jamel Hill's tenure was going to end. It just was really going to be a, a question of when. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And do you think, as someone who sort of watches this from afar, do you think the moment that Jamel sort of stepped on that third rail and used words like uh, um, white supremacist, uh, largely surrounding himself with white supremacists, I felt that that... that at a certain point that ESPN once ESPN didn't sp- sort of support her publicly and say something to the effect of in John Skipper's words, you know, I appreciate the White House weighing in, but this is my employee, this is my company, we're going to handle it our way. I, I figured that was she was done. What were your thoughts?
1: Well, I think in in, you know, in 2018, 2017, this this society, this administration, you have to make a decision what side You're on. It's very similar to me when the NFL decided to make their anthem policy. I mean, that's a decision that says, hey, we're siding, or we're trying to appease, uh, you know, Donald Trump. I think ESPN had an opportunity at that point to make a decision, you know, which side that they wanted to be on. And by, you know, making that decision and and doing what they did with the six, uh, suspending Jamel Hill, uh, they made a clear decision that, you know, this is how we're going to side with that. And so you can't have that person as one of the faces uh, of your, 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 your network uh, if that's the way that you're going. And it's funny, it's not just, you know, Jamel. I mean, you, don't, you haven't seen Michael Smith a lot uh, because Michael Smith has, you know, backed Jamel very strongly. It's like they, even though, you know, he didn't say the words, they're connected, you know, together. And I think there's a, a trickle-down effect. Uh, you know you see who they have on you know the, the 6 pm uh, sports center now it's not a, a coincidence that it's you know sage still so I think it was a domino effect to answer your question and then yeah it was the first domino to go and this it has led us to where we are now even someone like you know Michelle Beadle, uh, who is very strong in her opinions' uh, it, it's not so much that they've demoted her or, or changed positions that, you know they're trying to maneuver. Her in places where, well, if you're talking about the NBA, there's not really much political crossover that much um, in, in that regard. Not like the NFL. So I think all of the moves that they've made since that time have been in a effort to have people not say, "Well, it's, it's the it's the the liberal ESPN." I don't know if it's working because they're still getting it from both sides, in my opinion. But you know, that's the side that they decided to take.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I I might push back, Rob, just on the sense that I think the NBA can be inherently political. I just think um, that discussion um, is sort of accepted more on ESPN and the president of the United States and the White House is not attacking discussion when it comes to politics in the NBA outside of some people, obviously, on Fox who tell LeBron James to shut up and dribble. John, let me ask you this, because you're you're gonna take a different tact from Rob because you cover the business of this and when you've been on this podcast, I think you've always and I've appreciated this, we have disagreed on stuff because I think a lot of times you will take the way sort of this plays in the business world where I'm far too emotional and a little too rank and file and like, you know you know, whatever, fuck the man kind of thing. So um, that's, that's probably, put it, That's part, in wrestling terms, that's probably putting myself over a little bit too much. But I guess, John, what I would say is, like, removing Jamel Hill and removing any kind of nexus of sports and politics, for the most part, is ultimately good business. I think it's disingenuous because I think that is the world we live in. But I can't argue with what Jimmy Pataro is doing in that the way to get eyeballs to your network is essentially just to get as many sports fans as possible. And if you can avoid hot-button issues like politics or social justice, the logic or the likelihood is you're going to get more eyeballs, right? And
2: every other sports network outside of ESPN has been able to focus on, on – uh, has been able to report on politics without being in the line of fire. Um, and I think that, like, you take a look at uh, CBS Sports – you know, nobody is, is complaining about how, really how they cover the anthem or or how they um, how they um, really cover politics. You know, it, it, it almost never comes up. I think that this is really a holdover of the editorial sensibilities that John Skipper had as president of, of ESPN, which, which really encouraged all this. It was like, you know, we're more than sports. We're the Entertainment and Sports Programming Network. But And as a result, it put a lot of their talent – into into the firing line in a way that you don't see with nbc you don't even see what's fox sports and nobody associates fox sports with fox news yeah and so i think that this is this is sort of a a natural like skipper's no longer there now it's jimmy pataro and now you're just seeing espn come back to the mainstream in terms of um just in terms of being a uh, sports TV producer.
0: Joe, let me ask let me just follow this with you. So let me ask you this, because I I think that's true. I, I think Fox Sports doesn't necessarily get the tag of, well, they're the conservative sports brand, where ESPN has certainly been fighting for a long time, the narrative of their, the progressive or liberal brand. But there are people, there are personalities on Fox Sports who've totally killed Kaepernick and have totally made it very clear that they're, uh, conservative or that they support the the president pounding down on athletes who take a knee. Why, why hasn't that stuck? Is my, my thought part of it is because ESPN is just so big and there's so much tonnage on ESPN and they occupy so much of the oxygen and FS1's ratings aren't really great that everything ESPN does is going to be analyzed and focused versus FS1. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's, maybe there's something else to it. And FS1 does, to be fair, have its own people who um, – you know who are not pushing like sort of conservative sports. They have um, probably more of the sensibilities of a of a Jamel Hill or Bambani Jones, etc. But so I, I don't know. I'm just sort of trying to figure out in my own head why hasn't that stuck to Fox?
2: I, I think it's one of two reasons. One is I I, I really don't see it as as pervasive as fo- at Fox as it was at ESPN a couple of years ago. Right. Um, so I, I think that it's sometimes it's a tempest in a teapot, and I also think that Jamel Hill is a real talent, and when 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 she's able to go out and, and say things politically, uh, which uh, it must be said never happened on, on sports center. It happened via her Twitter feed or, or, uh, you know, in other venues, you know, she was able to move the, uh, move the conversation or move the discourse in a way that, you know, other on air personalities weren't able to.
0: Rob, I want to ask you this. Um, you're the editor and founder of black sports online, and you've written a lot about race issues and will continue to do so. Um, how, how much of this, what, what sort of went down with Jamel Hill do you look at as this is a strong, prominent African-American woman who was given the biggest platform in the world in terms of an African-American woman being a sports opinionist, and then eventually, all of this shit fell on her, or maybe it wouldn't have fallen on somebody else. There I mean, be people would be like, "Ah, oh, you're bringing up race. It's not about race, but I don't know. There's only one Jamel Hill. There's only one prominent african-american opinion opinionist who's a woman at this level and now she's leaving that network after a controversial year in which she spoke her mind as an opinionist on twitter and the company didn't like that
1: well this is the way i look at it um let's just say that a uh, white reporter at espn a woman reporter uh said things about donald trump and his Uh, sexual assault allegations or his history with women or grabbed them by the you-know-what with them. Would they have felt the same wrath from ESPN as Jamel Hill speaking about, you know, racism or white supremacy and things like that? I don't think so. I I don't think so at all. I think uh, they would have been more sensitive to it. I think they would have backed the person. We saw that uh, with the uh, Barstool Sports situation. Uh, you know when they say, "Hey, Barstool Sports said this X, Y, and Z about you know me." You know we're we're uh, somebody that they had hired. You know, so they're talking about you know someone that's working with the company now, and you know they were fine with it. I remember a time where Michelle Beale went at Stephen A. Smith for some of the things that he said right. on her, and they stood behind that. So my my point is is that I just think there's with racism. I always say this. You know, as someone. Uh, that studies this, someone obviously that's black, and just kind of notice how media works, is that racism, the ism part, is the least respected, uh, not just in our society, but, you know, also in the in the, in the sports media world, the world that, that we work in. I don't think anything that she said was inflammatory in the sense there was no name-calling, uh, there was facts to back up what she was trying to say, and she was speaking from a perspective uh, of, a, of a black woman. And until those things are more respected, you're going to have this situation. We, like we always talk about how the anthem issue, that's what they call it. The anthem issue is controversial uh, and a distraction, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I would say, and I always say to that, I was like, why is, you know, the, the main focus being police brutality and racism? Why is that a distraction? Why is that controversial? No one says, you know, if we're fighting against, you know, breast cancer, you know, that's controversial or we're, we're doing things for other issues, be it equal pay or women's rights or child abuse or anything like that. It's only when it happens to be a black and white issue that these things are controversial. So, you know, I really believe that, you know, Jamel kind of started writing on the wall, and she didn't want to be silenced. Like, you have a choice when you work at these big companies, like in anybody, you know, that works at a big company, is that sometimes, you know, that's part of the job. You have to bite your tongue on a lot of things. And I know a lot of people at ESPN bite their tongues on a lot of things. She didn't want to bite her tongue anymore. And the only way that she could not do that is to free herself from the company. And in essence, she's left a lot of money on the table. You know, I mean, she's getting some of it, you know, a lot of it, but she's not getting all of it. she rather leave money on the table to have the ability to speak freely. And I think that's very courageous
2: on her part. Hey, Rob, I, I hear you on that. The, the one pushback I'm going to give you is that, is that Jamel's situation completely blew up when when uh, uh Trump mentioned her and when uh Sarah Huckabee Sanders then called for her to be be fired at, at the White House podium so that it 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 almost it became political in just this this crazy sort of way but i think that if you take a look at uh Michelle Beadle's twitter mentions after she mentioned she's not going to watch football anymore i you know i think that you know that there are i uh, there are other there are other ESPN personalities that have had the weight of you know conservatism or the weight of politics that, that uh, come down on them. But Jamel's situation, it, it really blew up because it, it went into the White House and then it went into the mainstream political world, in my
1: opinion. Well, well my, my point to that is the same thing, is that you would not hear Donald Trump say that about a white person who would have said the same thing, because that's not who he regularly attacks. It's... Black athletes, it's actors, it's actresses, it's, it's things like that. I mean, that's that's part of his his norm. When all of these things are circling and surrounding him, other political things that you know, I can't say that I'm an expert in. What does he do? The first thing he goes out there and says, "Oh, these guys are not standing for the anthem." ESPN. Oh, let's start a petition for that. It's always a a distraction for other things that are going on. And so that's just a, maybe a broader point to it is that yes, I think ESPN saw that. And they reacted. And that's exactly what Trump wanted them to do. They wanted them to react. So, yes, you're right. You know, but it's one thing to get trolled. I mean, Richard gets trolled. I'm sure you get trolled. I get trolled. I, you know, I, I get into it with Clay Travis or Will Kane. And, you know, all the time. it's a totally different thing to have the president of the United States care what I'm having to say. And the question is why. And, and the reason why is that this is a black woman that is talking about him. No different than Maxine Waters. It's just in the sports world.
0: Yeah, I mean the Listen, people who follow me on Twitter know full well how I feel about Donald Trump. I'm a New Yorker. I'm pretty honest about it. When the president of the United States does sort of put a laser focus on you, it game changes everything. It's one thing, you know, um, it's one thing to have shit show mentions from stuff. It's another thing when that happens. Um, I do want to, John. I want to just ask you something that sort of plays a little bit into what Rob said, but it's a larger thought. And as someone who writes about this and reports about this, you're the guy to ask. Um, has um, Do you think Petaro, while he might not be overtly telling the other people who work at ESPN who have been politically oriented on their feeds, while, while they might not have been told specifically stop this, do you think now everything that has happened from the Jamel um, buyout to uh, ESPN on ESPN Media Day talking about what they're going to do with the anthem, it seems to me that a message – is really being sent to talent, even if there's not a direct sentence, saying, do not go to this place anymore. John Skipper's gone. This is, this is a new era for you.
2: Uh, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't take it that far, Richard. I, I, I do think that there are some tea leaves that, that uh, talent should be reading in, in, in all of this. But I think that you said it uh, at, at the top of the pod here, where there are certain, there are certain things that are just political in sports like the, the, uh, pro- protesting during the national anthem. That's a, that's a, you know, are, are you going is everybody going to ignore that on all the talk shows? I highly doubt that. Uh, and I think that there are still certain people, um, Bomani Jones jumps to mind who is able to sort of toe that line and do it in a way that I, I think is uh, acceptable to, um, to his bosses at, at ESPN. Uh, and so I, 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 look, I don't want to, there are there are obvious tea leaves that are out there that, that people should read into this, but I don't think it's as draconian as, as your question was trying to uh, to, to lead on. Okay, today. I
0: appreciate it, and I'd be happy about that. I mean, be, I hope that's the case for a lot of ESPN um, front-facing people who I respect and, and, and I think should have the right to sort of voice their opinion on social media. Rob, you can get into this too, but one more for John. John, I, I found it really interesting to read all the stories um, – following ESPN's media day about ESPN not showing the national anthem. This is correct. This is basically not really a change in policy. As Stephanie Drooli, one of their big VPs there, said they only showed it three times. So ESPN has um, never showed it. That said, when the president of your company goes out and makes the statement and says that I have informed the NFL as a good partner that we're not doing this, that is news. And ESPN can claim it's not. And and all of this stuff, but, like, the second Jimmy Pitaro, anybody says something, it is. What was really interesting to me, John, was I know for some other... I didn't really write a, a, a lot about that. I had a couple sort of smaller uh, things on that. But there were a couple people who, over the next day, wrote very sort of long pieces about that. And I know that ESPN PR contacted them in a, in a what I would call in a, in a attempt to handle them or, to, or to, to not necessarily spin, but to, like... Let the writers know that they were sort of on notice, so to speak, of some of the things they wrote. I, this is one of those issues, John, uh, that I feel ESPN is really sensitive to, and it's going to be it's going to be a story over the next couple of months. Um, I'm, I don't know if ESPN PR talked to you or somebody at SPJ, but um, but my sense is that they're a little on edge of this, and it all has to do with sort of what Rob. T- Thought, uh, talked about a little bit earlier, the bully pulpit of the White House. They are, they're, they're a little intimidated by that. Maybe rightly so, but they are.
2: Yeah, I think ESPN PR was frustrated. They invited, uh, they had about thirty sports media reporters up in Bristol to give them the dog and pony show up there. Uh, they, they were trying to move on from politics. They were trying to show like, how ESPN was going to grow. They're trying to take the whole narrative of ESPN over the past two years as a declining too political organization and trying to like, turn it around. And the one dominant story that came out of there was Jimmy Pataro's quotes on, on the anthem. Uh, I think that Jimmy Pataro, when he was making those quotes on the anthem, wasn't thinking about uh, Donald Trump in the anthem, he was more thinking about the relationship that he has with the NFL and trying to show like, look, we're getting back in good with the NFL and, and, and wasn't thinking about the other part that he ended up you know, getting burned on a little bit. I bet you if he had to do that over, his answer wasn't, wasn't untrue. But if he had to do that over, he would have answered in, in such a way that you know, Fox has answered and CBS has answered and NBC has answered, which is just sort of we're going to continue doing exactly what we've been doing and, uh, and, and move forward in that way. So I, I get why ESPN PR was, was frustrated. Uh, and, and again, Donald Trump taking this and amplifying it just sends it to the stratosphere. And all of a sudden, what was, what was supposed to be a, hey, we're turning around uh, a, a bunch of stories, ended up just getting right back into the same old stuff that they were trying to get away from.
0: Now, once again, John, you'll be getting scoops from ESPN PR over me based on your answer. <laughs> um, all right, Rob, is there anything else you want to add on this um, before we move to, uh, we'll do a couple quick things after this.
1: Uh, yeah, just just I think that um, I have to disagree a little bit. I do think some talent – and the reason I'm disagreeing with it is because I've been told, just point blank, let's just put it like that, uh, by some, some talent at ESPN that uh, it has been said in, in, in not so uncertain terms to, you know, especially on the social media, uh, to basically knock it off and just kind of stick to what they do. Uh, be personalities, be funny, have jokes. Uh, talk about viral topics and everything, but steer clear of the president, steer clear of, you know, the anthem stuff, uh, steer clear of anything that could get you uh, in in trouble. Uh, And I think that's been a a pretty clear directive uh, since the new guy has taken over. And honestly, it's it's very similar to to the NFL players. Um, I think a lot of NFL players, you know, don't really care about standing, kneeling, you know, for the anthem. They just want to play ball. And I think they're, are a lot of people at ESPN that just want to do their job and not want to be in that in that mix. Uh, but I, I do think that's been clearly uh, told in a way, you know, maybe a legalese type of way uh, that they should. We're trying to do something a little different now. All
0: right, John. We'll do a little bit on Get Up with you and Robert. Um, I'll sort of probably go a little heavier with Ryan Glassbeagle given his interest in the story. But um, Michelle Beadle uh, or ESPN announces that Michelle Beadle is leaving Get Up moving back from New York to Los Angeles to host NBA Countdown, also be part of a uh, post-Countdown show. She gets a couple additional years on her deal. Um, I think the irony here is that uh, Michelle Beale uh, leaves the show that is uh, uh, having serious problems, gets additional years on her contract, gets to move closer to the beach. Um, That's a good bit of agenting, basically, uh, no matter whether you liked Beale or... Did not. Uh, John, any move for this show does not surprise me. This show, as we've talked about in this podcast many times, is ill-conceived. It's a mess. I do not believe it is long for life. Maybe ESPN will change its uh, fundamentals in terms of what it wants viewership-wise, but so far it has been an absolute disaster. Um, It was, um, like I said at the top, ill-conceived, and I think we're seeing some of the issues. They're now bringing in a lot of new people. Maybe somebody will stick or maybe something will work. But Beetle leaves, and now it's Greenberg, Jalen Rose for a couple of days, and then you have basically uh, a number of people coming in, uh, including Jen Lana and others as uh, Diana Russini as co-hosts, and then they're going to have all these NFL people floating through the studio to talk about the NFL. So that's my sort of preamble for people who didn't hear this. John, your initial reaction when you saw that Michelle Beetle was off?
2: I want to know uh, the timing, and I don't know this. Maybe you do did did Michelle know that she was leaving when she made her comments about yeah. not watching football anymore. Yeah, I wish... Um, she would have to have known she, she did, yeah. Me I mean, things,
0: I, right? I found this out after the fact. Obviously, if I'd known before the fact, I would have reported it, but others beat me to that story. But yeah, I mean, if you just sort of think about it, John, um, extended press release, all these plans for the NBA, you you know this business well as I am. Think of how many agents, PR people, executives had to sign off on all this, especially when it went public. So from what I understand, prior to the announcement that Beatle was off we were working in a maybe an eight to 10 day stretch that they knew. So when Michelle Beadle made her comments about the NFL, she absolutely knew, by the way, as I am sure did Greenberg, producer Bill Wolf and others that she was leaving the show.
2: Yeah. And, uh, and, and as soon as I saw those comments, I mean, it, it, it was plainly obvious that, that either she wanted off or, or she was going to be moved off. And, and, uh, and that's not much of a surprise. But what, what surprises me is I've been very consistent ever since the start of uh, get up that, you know, they were, I thought they were going to see this group through the NFL season and they were going to take a look after the NFL season and, and see if it was going to work. And I think that the powers that be just kind of decided the chemistry really wasn't there. It wasn't going to be there in the NFL season. And they're going to try to bring other people in to find that chemistry with, with Greenberg who, uh, who I think you and I disagree. I think Greenberg's a, a talent and I think that he can host a, um, uh, uh, morning talk show on on ESPN, and it's a question of w- what it's going to end up looking like.
0: Yeah, listen, we don't disagree that he's talented. I think he's certainly a—I a, uh, uh, I, give—listen, the guy was part of one of the biggest sports morning radio shows um, in history, and I give him credit for being a talent on that show. I just do not believe he is destination viewing. I do not believe he can be the center of a morning show that people are going to tune in, particularly in an era of uh, polarization and heightened cable news with Trump. So that that's where I do disagree with you long-term. Rob, your first thoughts when you saw that Michelle Beadle was off that show and heading back to your neck of the woods to do Countdown, and uh, or she's still doing Countdown, but heading back uh, to Los Angeles to have that as a home base.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's uh, what the kids call she would be the uh, finesse queen, you know, <laughs> when you— you get out of a situation and end up with more money and better better than you left it with. Um, I, I mean, we've talked about this before. We had reservations right, you know, from the beginning. I don't know why they just don't call it, you know, Sports Center in New York now, because that's essentially what it is. I mean, it's, they're just, you know, in New York, and they have Greeny and they have Jalen, and they got like a thousand other people. I mean, that's... Basically, what Sports Center in LA is in the morning is just a bunch of people talking and stuff. So, I mean, I, you know, I think this is their way of, you know, trying to, I guess, PR wise, make it not look like a failure. Uh, but essentially, what it is is just Greenberg hosting a, an AM, you know, Sports Center now, um, and, and with a revolving host and revolving talking heads and everything. But uh, I, I think it's just one of those type of things. I don't even think it was a bad show. I think sometimes you have such negative vibes going into something that it almost makes it impossible uh, to succeed. Uh, you know I'd give you a music example like Nicki Minaj uh, you know she had an album coming out but she had such negativity surrounding it coming out that it it didn't do as well as it was going to do. People were always gonna find some fault uh, with it So I thought the show actually got better as it went along. I didn't think it started off on such a bad foot and once they found out how much everybody was getting paid, it's like people were burying it before it was happening. It was like a WWE uh, coming up and they were already burying, you know, the, the, the gimmick before it even started. It was the new day, you know, before they became the new day. So it's like, (laughs) it's, 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 I think it was that type of thing. And I, I, that's why I believe. By the way, that, that it is so TV. true.
2: By the way, I can't think of I can't think of another show out there where people seem to be actively rooting against it. Like they wanted it to yep. be bad, and, they, and then they wanted that the ratings come bad. That's so true. Well, so
0: let's 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 let. This is interesting. So let's stay on this. So why do you think that is? I'll start with you, John. Do you think it's purely from that Marissa Guthrie piece that mentioned all their salaries? Is it the people who have made their bones about attacking ESPN um, at all costs? It. But you're right, like from the beginning, there were people, and this is very, very heavy on Twitter, which obviously we all three of us know can be negative, but there was like an active kind of interest in seeing this thing bomb. Maybe some people who are loyalist to Mike and Mike thought Greenberg um, was disloyal to Golik, but it was something, and it's a combination of all that stuff, including the salaries out there, but like... That's kind of bogus. I mean, Bayless makes six million, Coward makes six million, Gruden made six plus million. A lot of people on TV make a lot of money, but something, something really pissed people off about this one, John. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think Rob hit it. I think that the, the salaries going public was a was a killer. I think that every single story leading up to Get Up was a negative story from the way that Mike and Mike ended to you know uh, some of, uh, comments and Mike and Mike ending having. NBA people like uh, Jalen Rose and Michelle Beadle come in to talk about the NFL or to football or baseball. It it just kind of, it it was, it was an ill-defined show from the start. They started to get uh, some definition. This is the type of show that if it had started on say ESPN two or something like that, like you you give it a little time to, 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 germinate and get good then it could be, but it started under such a bright white spotlight and it, you know, it, it, it reminds me a little bit of what was the FS1 show with the the Canadian guys, Fox Sports Live. Fox
0: Sports Live.
2: Yeah, and 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 people people ripped that from the from the get go, and, uh, and and uh, not, not not to the same extent, but it it, uh, it it was the same sort of thing where you know they didn't have any time to to grow or get better.
0: Yeah, it's it's um it's interesting just because like the. I mean, again, a lot of self-inflicted wounds for that show. But I do think, as Rob noted, I think it's fair. I think there's a lot—I think that show had a lot of haters from the jump. And I don't know if it was the personalities or not. I mean, it can't be—it couldn't have been the politics. I mean, can there be a more apolitical guy than Mike Greenberg? That's not the guy you're expecting to be, uh, you know, giving a recitation on John Lewis or uh, (laughs) social justice in this country. So— um, but I know they got tagged with that, too. They got tagged by some out there, um, you know, that this was going to be ESPN's, uh, you know, morning liberal fest. And it's quite the opposite. So it's been interesting. Um, and, I, I, you know, listen, I've been negative on the show. I've, I've been honest about my negativity. It's sort of because I think it's ill-conceived. But there is, um, there is something uh, to that. Rob, is there anything else you want to add before we'll, we'll, we'll get to a couple other quick things before we get out of here?
1: No, I mean I, I think that hits the nail on the on the on the head. Uh-huh. It just uh, it just was something that people just it just didn't mesh. It just didn't work, and I, maybe it was overhyped. So, you know, sometimes you overhype something. I, maybe they tried too hard. You know, the reason I like you know was the uh, football morning in America on the right. NFL Network or Good Morning Football. It, it's because I just kind of started watching it. You know, it wasn't like a big. It just it was natural. And this team, it just seemed like you know when you put together a super team. And but the parts don't match. The chemistry doesn't match. Like they tried to put together a super team, and they didn't take chemistry uh, into effect. And it, it just didn't work. It's
0: interesting because uh, John, this Rob hits on something that's really, really smart. Is that expectations in sports television, in particular, are so important? Good Morning Football did not have any kind of big expectations, and people now see this as kind of a mini hit, even though the viewership numbers are not good at all, relatively. But the show has good chemistry. It's gotten great press. Get Up, which has far more viewers than Good Morning Football, is sort of deemed right now as a failure because the expectations on that show, by the way, also set by ESPN and all its pomp and circumstances, were so high. And that's a lot of the ball game here. And, and this is why, you know, if you're a sports media person, you always want to try to dial down the expectations, uh... You know, at first, and then um, you know, th- maybe this this could it'll be interesting to see because Katie Nolan's a good example on this. Is that you know, there's expectations on her, obviously, given she was a high profile hire for ESPN, but she's starting on ESPN Plus, which in itself is a low expectation play. So I wonder if she'll be an example here of a uh, of getting a chance to first show to bake and grow and do well, or if you know, or I don't know, or maybe the reverse because she's a high profile person, and if you know, and if, and if there's ever any information that leaks off her show in terms of how many people are watching and it won't be many at the start, that'll be deemed a failure. Um, I'm not sure, actually.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's uh, not just sports media, Richard. Uh, any studio show takes some time to, to, to develop. And, you know, to, uh, with um, Get Up, it, you know, any changes that they made became headlines and it's like they're retooling the show well every show retools. every show decides, like oh that didn't work like we thought now we'll do this instead i mean it it it, it, it it's uh, it's completely natural to see that happen but there, there was a sense of, of fatalism whenever uh get up tried to do anything to uh the better itself it seems
0: all right john you are the favorite son of fox sports pr terry hines for
2: this week yeah
0: eddie model uh vernon cheek val Krebs. they all love you right now uh, as opposed to me by the way i'm now working on uh, i think it's month three that i requested shanks and mark silverman i'm still waiting for terry Hines to get to get that interview done maybe at this point i hope they do the interview with you john just so i can read it um (laughs) so fox has thursday night football and they're certainly putting a lot into this and they're certainly um gonna promote the heck out of it The, the issue of course with thursday night football always is um what are the games and can the product sort of ever be lifted by competitive games? John, you talked to Fox people this week. Um, is there any, is there going to be anything different in your opinion about a Thursday night football on Fox versus a Thursday night football on MDC or, or CBS?
2: Yeah, the, uh, the, I think that the, um, Thursday night football on Fox is going to have a, uh, well, it does have a better schedule right now on paper. So you, you have sort of bigger teams and bigger markets that are, um, uh, and, and more rivalries. So the, the thought is that they're going to get bigger ratings for that. You also have Fox as the only network. So they're able to sort of play off Thursday and Sunday in a way that NBC and CBS weren't able to do um, last year because, you know, they they, uh, they only had half the schedule there. So already you're seeing some uh, some advertising um coming Thursday night football way on Fox that uh, that that's doing pretty well uh, compared to the rest of the NFL. And, um, and, you know, they 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 think it's going to be okay. I know the Thursday night football gets such a, a bad rap. Um, you know, nobody seems to like it. Uh, the fans hate it because of the, the, the quality of play isn't that, that good. The, um, the, the networks, they, uh, and, before Fox didn't necessarily like it because it just you know cost too much uh, and and they couldn't find too much of a return on it. The players hate it, but it's still reliably the number two show on TV. So TV networks still will roll over to uh, to try to, uh, to to bring it on. So I think that. The idea that it's broken and needs to be fixed is, is uh, what was not necessarily true from a TV standpoint, and I think uh, moving forward, that's how, that's how Fox is viewing it.
0: Rob, are you are you excited about Thursday Night Football, circling it on your calendar? No, no
2: nobody's excited <laughs> about it, I'm sure. <laughs>
1: no, I, and I think it's like I know you talked about the games and everything. I think it's just the product. I just don't think that – I just think it's, football is a very difficult sport to play, and it's just a hard turnaround when you're coming from Sunday – uh, you know, the Thursday. I mean, I know they've tried to say, you know, the injuries are not the same and they all are the same and, you know, all of this other jazz, but it's just odd to me. Well, it's not odd because the NFL does this stuff all the time, but it's always player safety, player safety, you know, we're going to flag you, we're going to find you, but hey, we're also going to make you play, you know, four days after you just played, even though that puts you at a bigger risk for your health because if the dollars are right, that's all that matters. You know, all that matters is the money in the end. So, so I think that's why people have a hard time believing the NFL, pretty much on anything, because almost anything that they say, there's a, a an opposite uh, reaction or the opposite thing, a take that you know shows that well, if they really thought this way, why are they doing this?
0: All right, let's finish up with this, guys, um, and that is um, college football. We'll do a quick one here, John. Um, one of the one of the things I did in my um, Monday column, today column for the Athletic, was ask. It's a number of college football people from on-air people to behind-the-scenes people, whether this summer they believe has damaged the product from Ohio State to Maryland to what's pretty been a pretty big scandalous summer in college football. Last year's regular season ratings, as your colleague Austin Carr pointed out, were down across the board. The ball season, though, was up. So hard to know what that meant last year other than maybe some non-competitive matchups and primetime windows, but... What do you expect from college? You're a college, you're a Maryland guy, and you're a college football guy. What do you expect from viewership this year? Does the does the underbelly of the sport impact viewership or people excited for the games and they're not going to think about it?
2: Uh, I, I tend to think the latter. I you know, in, in DC where I live, you know, Maryland ratings are probably going to go through the floor. I, I think that there's a, you know, it, it affects things locally, but I think you know Ohio State, Michigan. I think regardless of, of what you think should have happened to Ohio state. A lot of casual fans are going to tune into that. It's going to be a marquee game that, that, that people are going to end up watching. Um, And, and I, I don't see, these are stories that are drip drip and they've been happening for, for a long time. At some point, I do believe that there's a pebble that's going to knock everything off, you know, and, and, and then, then then there's going to be uh, significant trouble. I don't see it yet with uh, with college football. And I, I don't think we're close to it to be, to be quite frank. Rob? I, I think a lot of people still
1: have separation of sports and the other stuff. I think, you know, even I, you know, you know I, a lot of stuff could be happening, but then the game is on. I'm totally focused on what's happening, you know, between the, the lines. And I think for college football, for NFL, for anything, honestly, it's once the games actually start, start – Uh, people are going to put their focus back on it. So, like, even the NFL, like, you know, everybody was all the ratings, this the The ratings were fine, and we've talked about that, uh, you know, before. And I think the same with college football. I think Ohio State, if anything, you know, being an alumni there, just getting the vibe from that, it's going to be more support, uh, you know, now because they feel like it's us against the world because, you know, that's how fans are, even though when someone obviously does wrong doing, sometimes they can be irrational, uh, right, like like that. So I I don't think there'll be much of a change, if any.
0: Rob, are you an Ohio State alum? I did not know that. Yeah, I'm a Buckeye. Yeah, I'm a Buckeye. Jeez. Uh, I'm up in the Trestle year.
1: <laughs> in the Trestle
0: year. yeah. I mean, we look back now, and yeah. Trestle's, tre- trestle's violations seem rather quaint uh, in uh, in t- right, 2018. Yeah. Um, all right. Rob Latell is the founder and editor of Black Sports Online. Check him out at BSO on Twitter, and please go to his site. John O'Rand is the... Sports media writer for the Sports Business Journal and Sports Business Daily. Guys, uh, short notice. So I really appreciate uh, you taking the time and coming on today. And I will definitely have you back uh, again on the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you both. Thanks, Rich. I appreciate it. Uh, One last thing, though, before I get out of it, because I always have to have one last thing. Of course. I'm very
1: curious to see what happens uh, with the uh, the undefeated. Um, I took a quick glance at their website lately. Uh, Not a lot of content. Uh, very kind of bland and staying away from the stuff. It's kind of hard to have a, a website that you know does the cross reference between you know race politics and sports, uh, but being kind of handca- uh, handicapped or handcuffed, I should say, on those topics. So curious to see what happens with that because it's a very expensive uh, venture that uh, ESPN put out there.
0: Rob, it's like you're you're. Hey, Rob, what, you're...
2: what do you mean by not a lot of content?
1: Um, so
2: what I what I mean
1: by not a lot of content is that they're not updating with a lot of stories. Um, and, you know, part of what I do, you know, at BSO and part of what I think when you're talking about race and culture and things like that is that there's a lot of material that are out there. It's a lot of conversation. There's a lot of things that's going viral. It's a lot of, it's a lot of conversation and they just don't update a lot, you know, maybe one or two, three stories a day. Um, it's very difficult to have that type of website and that type of arena and genre without a lot of content, you know, coming in. So, I mean, I know they like to do the long form, and I I know they're trying to do more of that stuff, Uh, but when was the last time you heard anyone speak of an undefeated, you know, article in a viral state that wasn't
0: written by Jamel Hill? You know, Rob, it's interesting. I I was about to bring up Jamel. Hill, yeah. Yeah, it's just your, Rob. (laughs) I literally, uh, I tweeted that sort of very similar thoughts out yesterday, and my having covered Grantland and remembering John Skipper answering to my face that Grantland was safe in the long term, and then he, he shelved it like within like four months. So I, I, I never really will believe ESPN executives on these sub-sites again. But Rob, I think you're onto something. The What uh, the undefeated does does not fit into what ESPN's portfolio is now. It does not fit into everything Jimmy Pitaro has been putting out publicly. It was a passion project of Skipper's, and... And I don't believe it is a passion project of Jimmy Pataro. So if I was a person working at the undefeated, I'd be watching the tea leaves really close. I, I don't know if they are going to keep that site. I don't know if the site makes money or not. I would doubt it. So I would be very worried if I was an undefeated staffer because the person who championed it, John Skipper, is gone. And as you said, Rob, what it does, the nexus of race and sports and culture, in my opinion, I know what John said, Oran said, but ESPN – seems to be making very publicly that they're going to push away from that outside of the situations where they have to cover it so that would be my John John Oren, I'll let you weigh in just because you didn't you didn't sort of get a chance but I I, I don't know man I, I like the undefeated I got a I, I have people there I really like I have a lot of respect for that site I'm a little worried for it to be honest I'm not sure
2: what they're going to do with, with the undefeated as a brand but they have uh, they have a ton of talented people on the masthead there you know starting with uh, Kevin Moretta that um, you know, I'm, I'm certain that would uh, come over to to ESPN or ESPN.com or ESPN the magazine. So, so I I don't think that it's you know would be just cut and, and everybody would would go off. I think that there would be you know uh, still some landing spots for a lot of people. But uh, that's, that's that's one of the stories that, that I'm keeping my eye on to see what happens with that.
0: All right, John, Rob, you got appreciate that was that was good. It was good ad that last one. Uh we didn't talk any wrestling. Yeah, no problem. We yes. didn't we didn't talk any wrestling out <laughs> of uh, respect to John O'Rahn, but uh look for Roman Reigns to have the belt for a year at least, John. That's my Rob, that's my prediction. He's going a year. <laughs>
1: I, I'm cool with that. Thank you. No more Brock Lesnar. I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. We see, Maybe we'll talk about Ronda Rousey next time you have me on. We'll do
0: Rousey. We'll do, yeah, we won't have John on for that. We'll just do Rousey. My money's upon uh, Haystack, Calhoun, and Rich. Hey, st- yeah, John, you are so behind, John. <laughs> All right, John John O'Ran and Rob Latell. thank you very much for joining us on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks, RD. All right, my thanks to uh, Rob and John, who are regulars on this podcast. And now we bring in somebody I've known for a long time, but he makes his debut on the Sports Media Podcast, and that is Ryan Glass-Beagle of The Big Lead. Um, Ryan covers a lot of the same stuff that, um, that I do, that John does, Andrew Marshan does, Barry Jackson, etc. And this week, he and his colleague at The Big Lead broke the story of Michelle Beadle leaving Get Up and heading west to uh, extend her uh, NBA work, and Ryan Glasspiegel joins us on the sports media podcast. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, Ryan. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. I've already picked yeah, up let's, like let's four
3: not. new followers from your tweet just
0: that you'd <laughs> be taping with me. Let, let's let's not go crazy, Ryan. <laughs> uh All right, so let's. Uh, here's where I want to start with Ryan. We talked a little bit about this in the opening segment, but. You know, you guys were on this, so without giving up sourcing, obviously, can you give listeners a sense of just how long you had been working on um, not just changes to get up, but this significant change—one of its lead hosts leaving the show and 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 heading for another gig.
3: Honestly, as soon as Beatle said the comments about how she isn't going to watch football this year and didn't watch it last year, in the broader context of an urban Meyer discussion in which I must say that she was right about being disgusted about how Ohio state handled everything. But as soon as she said that, that just set off alarms in my head that something was afoot. And I didn't know that the change would be made immediately, but I kind of had just a spidey sense that they were going to move on from her in the next few weeks. And, Then on Friday, this always happens. I always get kind of tipped off to something right as I'm entering my personal training session, which I pay like 50 or 60 bucks a week for, and I use as an excuse to eat as much as I can the rest of the week. (laughs) And so right then, the website, thespun.com posted a thing, and they haven't... I, they do a good job as aggregators of sports media and sports news, but they generally haven't broken a ton of stories of this nature. They wrote that an unspecified host was leaving Get Up, and another unspecified host was going to be moved to a part-time role. And I don't think once you see that, especially with the timing of Beatles football comments, that it takes a rocket scientist to realize that Um, she was going to be off the show and Jalen was going to be part-time. So then it becomes trying to nail down the specifics of what exactly they're going to do. And Bobby and I spent the next probably two hours calling everybody in our Rolodex, the vast majority of whom just didn't answer. Because I think you probably have this experience too, when you know that the Bristol machine is grinding and they've just like put the fear of God into everybody involved not to be the ones who leak it instead of lying to you sources will just not answer the phone but eventually we got a callback that had a good amount of the details that we f- felt comfortable running with
0: okay a couple things there one it's very clear and you may know this by now that um, this had been in the works for a bit. Michelle Beadle, you know, think about how many agents and executives and talent and managers had to be involved. So from my understanding, at least after you guys broke your story, we're looking at like eight to 10 days prior to the Friday this was announced that Beadle or Camp Beadle knew. So, so if you sort of extrapolate it, when she talked about Urban Meyer, which I believe she was being totally honest about, um, she knew full well that she wasn't going to be on get up long term so you can sort of take what you want is that sort of cutting a promo for herself or um (laughs) is it honest commentary about urban meyer maybe it's a little bit of both but she knows that she's she's heading forward to do the nba and not going to be on get up anymore ryan you've you've written a lot about this and i don't want to put words in your mouth but my thought is that you think that this 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 move may ultimately be good for Get Up, not necessarily as a total shot on Michelle Beadle, but giving the chance for some other voices to come in and maybe find better chemistry with Mike Greenberg, who obviously is either um, you know is sticking around until that show goes down.
3: So I have two things to say about that question. The first is I agree with you that these changes were in the works, but I don't think that she was going to be off that show as abruptly as what ended up happening if she hadn't had made those comments about football because if you think about it Richard she was off on vacation for 4 weeks before last week if they know that on Friday of that week she's they're going to announce that she is no longer going to be on the show anymore at the end of August why even bring her back at all why not just ease into the changes and then formally announce them. So I think maybe that it was going to happen sometime around like the end of September or October, but the timing of it suggests that those comments had at least a little bit of an impact of when they decided to do it. And then to your other point, I agree with you that it just, for whatever reason, it didn't work. I made this analogy that, and I don't, I hope I'm not dating myself, but, Probably about a decade ago, maybe a little more, the Bucks tried to have Gary Payton and, Ray and um, Sam Cassell in the same backcourt, and they were both shoot-first point guards. And that's what it felt watching Michelle Beadle and Mike Greenberg on a show together. Both of them have driven the conversation on the shows that they've hosted for so long that neither of them felt comfortable being the responder as opposed to the initiator. And I think that all of the people they put in place instead of Beatle, which is Maria Taylor, Laura Rutledge, uh, Jen Lotta, Diana Rossini, and her name wasn't in the press release, but my reporting indicates that Nina Kimes is also going to be on that show a fair amount. All of them are going to be more comfortable in the role with Greeny
0: as the point guard. Ron, let me ask you something that was brought up with Robert and John. I'd be curious to get your take on this. And we were talking about expectations and how expectations when it comes to a studio show are really important. There were massive expectations for this show just given who the principals were, given how it was formed, um, including sort of the acrimonious split between Mike Greenberg and Mike Golick and the fact that ESPN was building a splashy downtown studio, not even downtown, actually way, way downtown in New York. Then the salaries of these guys were mentioned in, um, in a Hollywood Reporter piece. So basically there was a target on these guys from the jump. And what John and Rob were talking about was that for whatever reason, that caused a lot of people, particularly in social media, it seemed like to almost want them to fail. There was, To me, in my opinion, there's been a heavy dose of wanting – Get up, not to succeed. I think that's different, or it is different from those of us who write about it, who may have said it will not succeed, and here's why. I think there's whatever that reason. There's that negativity. I don't know if it's the salary. I don't know what it is. Blah 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 blah. The counter, and I thought, hold on one second, Ryan. Just let me finish, and then you can go along. So I just want to give you the counter. The counter to this is Good Morning Football, which doesn't get close to the viewership numbers as Get Up, but has been positioned at this point as a big success great chemistry, a show that nobody expected much out of that's now become a good hit for NFL Network. So there's a two sort of narratives there, and one of the narratives has far less viewers than the other, but yet the get-up narrative is shows a disaster, and in some quarters we're glad it's failed, and here's why. Now, I didn't mean to filibuster. Happy to hear your thoughts.
3: Well, the, the first thing is the distinction on the contracts, and I wrote this at the time the Hollywood Reporter piece came out. Beatle and Jalen were already making, I don't know, 60% or so of what they wound up um, being publicized in Hollywood Reporter for their role on NBA Countdown. So when you read that Michelle Beatle is making $5 million for Get Up, that's true. She is making $5 million a year, although maybe not going forward. But she, um, a, a lot of that comes from being on sports Bumper programming and that's true across all networks that the people who are on those shows make a lot of money because it's emblematic of the direct partnership with the leagues and uh, there might be 20 million people watching Michelle Beadle and Jalen Rose at halftime of the NBA finals. So the um, there wasn't enough delineation of how their contracts were structured, but I do agree with you that there were a lot of people that were looking for this to fail, partly because the contracts juxtaposed with all the layoffs ESPN has had over the last few years, which you and I have both covered extensively. They laid off 300 people behind the scenes, a lot of whom formed the fabric of ESPN, were there for 15, 20, 25 years, and then 100 front-facing talents. That everybody knew, and a lot of whom, by the way, ESPN could use right now. In now that they're pivoting back to wanting more anchors, but between the fact that they their their high salaries were publicized, there were layoffs and. Michelle Beadle, quite frankly, is polarizing. I don't think there's anybody who has a lukewarm opinion of her. People are either big fans of hers or actively dislike having her on their television. And when you add in all of that together as a formula, I definitely agree with you that a lot of people were looking for it to fail. As far as Good Morning Football goes, I think that that show... You're right. It doesn't have nearly the viewership of get up. I don't even think it has the viewership of undisputed, but undisputed definitely carries some of those high price contracts that good morning football does not, but that's give a lot of credit to Peter Schrager, Kay Adams, Kyle Brandt, and Nate Burleson. They're on a show that there isn't tension. The people seem to like each other. They move quickly between topics. They have, some inventive topic selection, they move around, they get up and they play games. And I, I think that, that that's a formula that a lot of people are going to emulate, even if the amount of viewers on linear television isn't as high as what you'd need on ESPN.
0: Uh, your point about um, the layoffs is a good one. I wish we had talked about that in the previous segment because I think there is a lot of stuff that's tied to that. Just given the amount of people who lost their job, and then you see this splashy studio downtown, which to me is was mostly a vanity project greenlit by Skipper for New York-based talent and execs. So that's a really that's a good point. I appreciate you bringing that up. Well,
3: like I mean, look, Brett McMurphy um, did did broke all of this Urban Meyer Ohio. Story a year ago, ESPN decided there was no place in their company for Brett McMurphy. I don't want to say how many Brett McMurphys can you employ with five million dollars that you're paying Beetle, but if you say she was making three million on Countdown and they give her another two million for Get Up, then that's probably eight to ten of them at the very least. So. You think about it in those math terms, and I know every time you or I bring this up, the people at ESPN tell us we can't look at things like that, and they have budgets allocated towards this and that, et cetera, et cetera, but it's really just addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division, and it's not that hard to draw those conclusions.
0: I should ask you, Ryan, did you get any calls from ESPN on any Anthem-related stories or emails trying to manage you i brought that up with rob and john i'm just curious and we'll stay on get up i did
3: not because i've made a decision that there are, i try to cover things that not as many outlets and reporters are covering and i've made a decision by and large not to weigh in very much on anything to do with the national anthem because i don't have my original take on it that I think is profound enough to worth exploring at this point. We've been doing this for two years and whenever we cover it on the big lead, and I don't want to judge how any other website or outlets audience responds to what they have, because a lot of that is unique to the publication that you write for or appear on. But I have found that big lead readers tune out stories that have anything to do with Colin Kaepernick or Donald Trump or the national anthem, and I personally don't pursue them.
0: I right, appreciate you giving me a philosophy there. All right, I want to finish up with you on the um, the future of Get Up. Uh, you know, if Jim Miller is an ESPNologist, I have to say you are a Get Upologist. So you're. A, <laughs> yeah. You has you, been
3: noticed that too. <laughs> they called me they said I was overly fixated on it. And then all of the changes I suggested happened later that day. Well, I was, I w- pretty, I was pretty happy with that timing.
0: I would say this, you know, that's been gave you only a couple of paragraphs. They didn't give you the 2000 uh, blasts that they gave me. So you're, you're on, you're, you're, you're on your way. Maybe, maybe that's coming. One, one day I can aspire
3: <laughs> to that. If, if, it's a race against time, though. They've got to <laughs> exist long enough for me to get that big.
0: All right, so um, here's the thing with Get Up, Ryan. I I, I mean, I, I'm, I know I'm repeating myself for listeners, and I apologize to you guys, but you already know this. I do not believe the show is going to exist long term. Now, my only caveat, I guess, would be if ESPN management decides to change their viewership expectations and then... In theory, I guess it could exist with like, you know, 350,000 viewership average, etc. What do you think, Ryan, with the changes to what what is coming? And as you mentioned, from Diana Rossini to Jen Latta, to all the NFL people that will be floating through the studio during the next couple of months. Do you, as someone who has probably watched this show, I think more than any other person in this who covers sports media that I know, do you think there is a path for this show to get to long-term success? Or is this a little bit of just, um, as the cliche would go, rearranging chairs on the deck of the Titanic?
3: I, I, at, at this point, I think the show could exist plausibly. I think now it will have a rope through next football season. I don't see them just totally eradicating it and replacing it with SportsCenter at this point. Um, yeah, they, they're not going to get the 500,000 viewers that I think you reported they would need to break even on this show or whatever they projected. But there is something to be said for the fact that Greeny is somebody whose sponsors pay a premium or he's somebody who is willing to work with them to integrate them into their product placement, into the show in a way that they're um, satisfied with. And so you, I, you might be able to sell the the ESPNs ad people might be able to sell this show better than they could something else. But it's, I think the show is going to be a lot better now. And I'm now going to just reserve judgment until I see get up 2.0 and look at the numbers before, I predict whether it's going to succeed or fail in the long run.
0: Gotcha. Just for the record, yeah, that's not. I didn't. The only thing I've sort of sent out there is that, from my understanding, they were hoping for like a five hundred thousand goal marker. I don't know what the show needs to be profitable, but my guess is a lot of their sales are maybe even baked into you know people buy into that show because they're buying into like multiple ESPN shows and you know who knows how you would sort of do the return on investment um metric but that's I I appreciate you answering that question just because I do you know you called it get up 2.0 and that's true the the show probably now has a chance for a little bit of a reboot and that a lot of shows don't even get that chance so it'll be interesting to um, it'll be interesting well, to see. A lot of
3: shows get more than four months to figure it out. Yeah. Do so you do you think they, if they, do, they, do,
0: they, I didn't mean to interrupt you, I was going to say if if that show does end up not working, could you see Mike Greenberg going back to a traditional Sports Center host, or do you think something else would be the case?
3: Well. There are, you know how these things go, but there's whispers of dissatisfaction in the Golic and Wingo ranks, both in terms of the partnership. And look, this isn't something that it takes a rocket scientist to see. You see, Golic's son Jake, as recently as Friday, bashing John Skipper again for breaking up Mike and Mike. I would not. I would never say never on a rekindling of that relationship as a way of trying to make the radio affiliates happier again, but I think that Greenberg is going to have to be damn sure that this TV show is not going to work before those discussions are broached.
0: Right, I'm gonna have to, I will disagree with you on that. I do not believe we will see a Mike and Mike reunion, although obviously I could be wrong. I do think that Wingo and Golik actually probably get along maybe better than what you've been told. That doesn't mean that both want to do perhaps different things, but um, tension there is nowhere. I, first of all, I've not even heard of tension, and it's nothing like it was in the really dark days of Mike and Mike. I, I'll i say this, Ryan. If they, if Golik and Greenberg ever got back together, I would really be surprised. Um, but stranger things have happened in media. Partnerships happen. And I will say, if that ever did happen, ESPN would totally be able to market the hell out of that. They actually would, I think, have a interesting story but i i do wonder if uh i wonder if things are too far gone um is there anything else ryan you want to uh chat about before we get out of here i know this is an abbreviated segment but i i want to uh i wanted to go heavy on get up
3: um no i just think that it's going to be very interesting to see how this goes because uh look the there They're toppling John Skipper's statues one by one at ESPN. You mentioned he's Saddam Hussein,
0: basically, is what you're saying. They're toppling the
3: statues. (laughs) I don't. I don't know that it's like that. But if you look at it, they they chopped an hour off. Get up. They sent Beto back to the NBA. They put um, a half. They took a half hour off high noon and moved it into a different time slot. They bought out Jamel Hill. You expressed some, I believe, reasonable skepticism about how committed ESPN will be to the undefeated in the long term. I'm also interested to see how committed they are to ESPNW and ESPN the magazine in the long term. I think if you ask them straight up, they would say, especially with the magazine, of course we're committed to it. But I, I, I want to see if that exists in a print form in two to three years. I'm not so sure. And how will they respond to that book that Don Van Natta and Seth Wickersham are writing about the power structure behind the scenes in the NFL with their new um, recommitment to being good partners for the Shield? These are all questions that we're going to have to wait and see
0: answers to. Yeah, all interesting um, stuff um, to watch. Ryan Glassbeagle is a writer at The Big Lead. He also has his own podcast, so I want to give that a shout out. And this week his guest is John Weiner, better known as Stu Gatz, the co-host of the Dan Lebertard Show. That is the uh, – uh, am I correct about this? It's the Past Glass Half Empty podcast? Is that the right title?
3: That is correct. The, that was the last one. I put that up today, and I had Jeff Goodman with some interesting insights. on yeah. being told to stand down on the college hoops and FBI investigation last
0: week. That was – yeah, great job by you to get uh, – some really interesting news out of Goodman. All right, so check Ryan's podcast. You can see that on iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere else. All right, Ryan, great to have you for the first time on the Sports Media Podcast. We'll try not to make it the last time, and uh, continued success of the big lead. Thank you for joining us today on the Sports Media Podcast.
3: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: All right, back in the studio, my thanks to uh, John O'Ran and Rob Latow for their comments and thoughts uh, on Jamel Hill and other media topics. And then Ryan Glassbeagle, the big lead on Get Up. He's, uh, he's the Get Upologist, basically, when it comes to that show. Previous, and uh, by the way, I'll just let you know, we'll certainly be having more podcasts and other roundtables on this. The, 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 the larger ESPN discussion isn't going anywhere. Uh, podcast before this Adam Schefter and Shineya Gumake. I really hope you check that out. That, that was really good. Adam Schefter has written a book on uh, marrying a 9 11 widow. And um, he wrote a book about um, uh, Joe Mayo, who lost his life on September 11, 2001, and how Adam um, sort of pays tribute to a guy he, whose house he now lives in. It's a pretty fascinating story and a different Adam Schefter than you're used to. And Shanae Gumake one of the stars of the WNBA, who also works for SportsCenter. I should say also works for ESPN as an anchor, and she talks about navigating being a pro athlete and a sportscaster, a really bright kid out of Stanford. For that, John Smoltz, Rebecca Lowe, Brett McMurphy, Frank Isola, Molly Sullivan, Adnan Ver, Carissa Thompson, and the list goes on. Please check all those podcasts out at the Sports Media Podcast. Uh, You can find that on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or at Lou Pellegrino's house. My thanks to Cadence 13. My thanks to Lou Pellegrino. This is Richard Deitch. We'll see you again on the Sports Media Podcast.